You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. You know, it's kind of, uh, it's a little sad tonight because we're going to be done with Abraham. The 25th chapter of Genesis, if you've got your copy of God's Word, Genesis 25. A uh, number of years ago, I met a young man. I was getting out of a car, and I was heading into 7th Street Presbyterian, I think was the name of it, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I was preaching at a conference that I would go every other year and preach in, and uh, the guy approached me, and he said, I can't remember his first name, but his last name caught me, Lockyer. And he said, my dad was Herbert Lockyer. And I said, um, the British preacher? And he said, yes. He said, I brought you some of his books. I said, I've got every book that he's written. And uh, I said, I appreciate that. So I talked to him about his dad. Great British preacher, wrote 50 books over the course of his ministry. And uh, one of those happens to be a book entitled uh, Dying Words of Saints and Sinners. That's a fascinating little book, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the last words of great men and great women uh, who were either great saints or great sinners. For example, uh, Henry Ward Beecher's last words were these, going out into life that is dying. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist who shook literally two continents, Europe and America, for For Christ said, I see earth receding, heaven is opening, God is calling. Uh, George Whitfield, the great evangelist who really started the first great awakening, preached in both um, England and in America. Uh, When he was dying, he said, I think it was Whitfield, wasn't it, that had preached that day in the field, had come in, he was sick, he was sitting on the steps, the people crowded into the house. And he got a candle (laughs) and he sat on the top step and the house filled up and he preached and he went and got into bed and died. Um, These were his last words. Lord Jesus, I am weary in thy work, but not weary of thy work. If I have not yet finished my course, let me go and speak for thee once more in the fields See, the church wouldn't let him preach in the church. That's why he had to preach in the fields. The Anglican church wouldn't let him in. Seal the truth and come home to die. I like old Zinzendorf, and I think of this often and have a lot lately, who said, um, preach, die, and be forgotten. (laughs) I thought, you know what? That's pretty good. Catherine Booth, the wife of General Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, Uh, And she did as well, right there with him, said, don't be concerned about dying, go on living well. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, as he was dying, I have had such a blessed time with my Lord, my work is done. Now you come to Genesis 25 in the death of Abraham. And we don't have the last words of Abraham. I wonder what his last words were. Go get the sheep. No, I don't know. Uh, you wonder that. There are a lot of things you do wonder about uh, this chapter. But you come now. We've been doing this for almost a year. I've been in Genesis looking at the life of Abraham, and I'm wondering and praying now, where do I go? Now, let me tell you, not next Wednesday night, but the next, I'm going to finish this chapter because I'm going to come back 
Uh, Jacob has, ha- has 12 sons. Ishmael is going to have 12 sons. And so you've got the 12 sons of Jacob, but you've got the 12 sons of Ishmael as well. And do you know what? God blesses Ishmael, and he's going to bless his descendants. And some of those are sitting on a, a bunch of oil right now. And so they are really being blessed. So I'm going to come back in two weeks and I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to really talk to you about where Islam, uh, how Islam uh, comes out of all of this. But the 25th chapter, there are a lot of things that we'd like to know about the last moments of Abraham. I'd like to know, was he in the field with the sheep? Because he was a shepherd. Uh, And like David, he had a love for that. He had an affinity for that. Or was he in the tent? Was Isaac with him? Um, You know, uh, was uh, Keturah, the woman that he had married after Sarah passed away, was she there? Uh, We're not told. Uh, A lot of things I'd like to know about uh, the death of Abraham. Did they get Ishmael back in time? Did they send word to Ishmael? He's going to come back. And he's going to be there with Isaac when they bury him. But I wonder, did they send for him and tell him, look, dad is dying. You need to get here. Esau and Jacob are alive at this time. Uh, Were they there? Was Isaac beside his bed? Was Esau there? Was Jacob there? Um, All of these things you'd kind of like to know, but we're we're not given that in this account. We're just told really rather briefly that this great man of God dies. Now, in a profound and a providential way, God speaks to us in the death of his great men and great women. Uh, We need to hear, you need to look at that. Uh, As I've written this all since 4.30 this morning, I've been writing this message I couldn't get Dr. Criswell out of my mind, and this is going to go to one of the points that I'll uh, share with you in a few moments, but we were with Dr. Criswell just uh, a day or two before he passed away. I went by to see him. He came out. He was kind of in and out of consciousness, and when he came out of consciousness, Deb and I were standing there beside his bed, and he looked at me, and just as clear as day, he said, oh, are you here? to preach the revival. And I thought to myself, now that's what was on that old preacher's mind was the revival. And he thought that I was there to preach it. So God will show you something. God will teach you something. There are great lessons to live by when you look at the death of God's great saints. And that's what I want us to do. And I'm going to only give you two points, and then I've got tons of subpoints. But the first point is this. In our dying, there will be an identifying of how we have lived. Now, just a few weeks ago, we talked about the death of Sarah. And I told you that she is the only woman in all of Scripture that an entire chapter is basically spent talking about her funeral. Well, now you come to Abraham, and Abraham doesn't get as much space as Sarah did, which is kind of interesting because we've had this whole section on Abraham. But just a few verses. He lived 175 years. For 100 years of his life, he was a pilgrim. He walked with God. 
38 years earlier than chapter 25, he buried Sarah. 35 years earlier is chapter 24, he marries Isaac off to Rebekah. <coughs> and they have two sons, Jacob and Esau, or Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first, and they're alive. Abraham sees those grandchildren. He gets to see uh, literally the grandchildren of the son, the children of the son of the promise. Uh, Abraham was called the father of all the faithful. In fact, Abraham is called the father of three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Because you see, Islam believes that it was not Isaac that he took up on Mount Moriah, but that it was Ishmael that he took up on Mount Moriah. Uh, He was called the friend of God. Here's Abraham, the friend of God. Yet all of that, all that we know of Abraham, and here is the moment that he comes to when he's going to die. So really, no matter your relationship, we're all going to experience physical death. The good thing is this. Those born twice will die only once. But those only born once are going to die twice. Abraham, as we know, all of his faith in God was counted to him as righteousness. Um, Now let me just begin to share with you this passage. You have to get in chapter 25 and pick it up. In verse 5, now Abraham gave all, that, gave all that he had to Isaac. To the sons of his concubine, Abraham gave gifts. He was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. And these are all the years of Abraham's life. Now, let me start right here with how he lived life. Because at his death, At anybody's death, you always reflect back over their life. Now, do you see that phrase in verse 7? These are all the years of Abraham's life. In the Hebrew, it's literally this. These are all the days of all the years of Abraham's life. Now, let let me just tell you, we celebrate birthdays by year. You don't live your life by years. You live your life a day at the time. He lived 175 years. That's 63,000 days. He lived 175 years, but he lived all 175 of them one single day at the time. Now listen, because this comes, uh, a little old lady in my first church, I am searching for her name. I can say, Miss Idabel Horton. There it is. See, that's a sharp. So it was blueberries I ate this morning. Um, little Miss Ida Bell Horton, the first funeral that I had in the first church that I pastored out of seminary. I buried a guy who was a great, I don't even remember the guy, but I remember little Miss Horton. I came out down the hallway and it was just the two of us. And I looked at her and I said, Miss Horton, how you doing? She said, I'm doing fine. I said, well, I said, uh, and she said, pastor, that was a good funeral. And I said, well, I had, I had good material to work with. And she looked at me and she said this, if the living goes well, the dying goes well. And that woman hadn't even been to seminary. Uh, if the living goes well, the dying goes well. Um, a man's life in the end is basically going to be what his life had been all along. 
Every single day you live life. Now here's the truth of the matter. If you spend life angry, upset, bitter, if you spend life complaining, if you spend life, you know, all out of sorts, all out of joint, then that's the way you're going to die. That, that's going to be, your death day is not going to be any different than any other day of your life. Nothing magical is going to happen on the day that you're to die. And all of a sudden, your personality is going to become as sweet as Jesus. It depends on how you live every single day of your life. And that's exactly the same way you're going to be when you die. Now, I've just got to tell this story. Less than 48 hours before my mama died, I, I, I had one of my men who flew us up on his private plane to see my mom. And the two boys, Courtney was not there. The two boys, Debbie and I, flew up to see her. I walked in that morning. I sat down on the bed. Uh, on, on the bedside, and I read to her out of the Psalms. I, I read to her Psalm 91. I talked to her. I said, Mama, you hadn't had a cup of coffee this morning, have you? She said, no. I said, do you want one? She said, yes. I went and I made her a cup of coffee. I came in. I said, you want cream in it? Yes. I gave her, I, I picked my little mama up, and she was a little old bitty woman. I picked my mama up, and I I held the cup up and I helped her and she made the most awful looking face you can imagine. I laughed and I, I thought to myself, here you are just hours, maybe days at the most from dying and you still turn your nose up at anybody's coffee except your own. <laughs> she did that her whole life, her whole life, how you live your whole life. So if you don't like anybody's coffee but your own, you need to make some for the day that you're going to die so that it'll be good. Now, listen, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And let me tell you, instantaneously, he transforms you spiritually. That is, he takes your dead spirit and he gives it life. But now, let me tell you this. That only begins the work and the process personally. But there is a process of the Holy Spirit called sanctification. And sanctification is the Holy Spirit of God working on you, knocking off some of the rough edges, shaping you, trying to mold you, trying to conform you to the image of Christ. And if you don't grieve His Spirit, and if you don't quench His Spirit, and if you will allow the Spirit to do His work, He will change and He will transform your personality. You don't have to be the grouch the rest of your life that you have been in the previous days. Now, just stand, sit there for a minute. Amen. Thank God for that. He can do that if you will allow Him to do that. So that your days become more full of the fruit of the Spirit. Your life becomes more like Jesus Christ in that every day now that you live with Christ. You remember the old hymn, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before? Well, let me tell you, it ought to be like this. Every day with Jesus, we are sweeter than we were the day before. So there you go. How you live every day, your life is going to be the way you live life the day you die. The other part of this is that you pick it up in verse 8, Abraham breathed his last. Do you see that? These are all the years of Abraham's life. These are all the days of all the years of Abraham's life. He lived 175 years, a day at the time. 
Here it is in verse 8, and Abraham breathed his last. Now, does somebody have a King James here? What's it say? He gave up the ghost. That's the Anglo-Saxon word there, ghost. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon word guest. He gave up the guest. He gave up that which lived in him. Now, listen. This is not really you. Now, we, we work on this. You know, we spend all our time on this. We fret about this. We worry about this. We get down to the littlest nail and we polish it and we, you know, we, we make sure it's manicured. Everything about this, and this whole thing is going to die, but you are not going to die. The you of you is going to live for eternity somewhere in one or two places. Uh, but this is going to lie down and die. This is not, listen, there is going to be continuity and discontinuity with this body in the resurrected body. But listen, I'm going to get a new body. I could just about shout right now with that. <laughs> I'm going to get a new body one day. You say, well, will you look like you? I hope I'm going to look better than me. <laughs> but there, it, the real you, the real me, listen, that person just was excommunicated from the church. <laughs> Listen, this, this is not you. This right here that we make over. Listen to what Paul says. Go over to 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 4. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and listen to what Paul says when he comes. And he's, and he's talking about this body. Verse 7, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He, he says this is a clay pot, this body. You come over to chapter 5 and verse 1, and he says, We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he says this body is like, it's like a clay jar. It's like a tent. Now, Abraham understood that. Do you remember back in chapter 24, or was it 23? Chapter 23, when he went to get that... Um, piece of ground, that cave to bury his wife Sarah in, he called himself in Genesis 23, 4, I'm a stranger and a sojourner. He understood that. Uh, Somehow, he didn't have the New Testament, but he understood that, listen, this is just a temporary dwelling place. This earth is just a temporary dwelling place. This isn't our home. We're just passing through here. We're pilgrims. That used to be huge in the mind of God's people. Uh, back during the period of the pilgrims and the Puritans, they used to understand, don't, don't put down roots here because this isn't your home. Don't get so invested here that you're tied to stuff here because this isn't your home. This is temporary. This world is temporary. This body's temporary. I'm just passing through. I'm using this world right now, and I'm using this body right now, but this is not where I'm going to spend eternity. That's a good word. And you say, well, it doesn't excite me. Well, let me tell you something. About three minutes before you die, you'll be real excited about it. That'll be a real word for you right then. Let me give you the second thing now under this, and it's the quality of life. Listen to what the passage says. Pick it back up in the middle of verse 8. He died in a ripe old age. Uh, the word there in the Hebrew is tov, 
which means good, in a good old age, an old man satisfied with life. Now, I'm going to translate that. He was old. He was really old. He was really, really old. That's exactly what it's saying. But the emphasis is not on the quantity of his life. That literally is a statement about the quality of his life. It's talking about the fact that he was a man who was not just 175 years old, but that he was a man who had experienced all these great blessings of God. Now, just listen to some of these. Number one, God had called him at 75 years of age. God put his call on his life to become the father of all the faithful. He becomes the father of Judaism and the father of Christianity. Uh, He becomes um, the father of the boy who's going to have a son, who's going to have 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. That's God's call on his life, and he answers God's call. It was to Abraham that God said, I am your shield and your very great reward. It was to Abraham that God promised that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's pretty incredible right there. It was to Abraham that the Lord himself appeared. Think about that. It was of Abraham that the Bible says he was the friend of God. He's called the friend of God. And so what this is telling me when it comes here is this. A ripe, a good old age, uh, an old man satisfied with life. It's telling me that he was full. That word satisfied describes a tree that um, is just loaded down. I'm preaching at a, a pastor's conference there's a, there's a Bible school in, in the mountains of North Carolina called Fruitland. Years ago, I was the second conservative pastor ever elected president of the North Carolina Convention. And that was the only conservative Bible teaching school in the state of North Carolina. I kid you not. And I had to go to battle. I had to go to fight with the rest of North Carolina Baptists to get enough money to give those preacher boys that lived in the mountains. All they were were mountain boys. And they had one little school, and they believed the Word of God to be the Word of God. And I I had to wrestle with the entire state convention to get enough money to build them a library. And so I'm going to go, and I'm going to preach to them next week, and I'm I'm going up there to help them raise. It's a fundraiser to raise money for that. Mountain Baptist Bible School. Now, when I go up there, that is the heart of Apple Country. And you'll get out and you'll look out across uh, a valley and to the mountain, and it'll be nothing but apple trees out through in there. You can get in some of those areas, it's just nothing but apple trees. And those apple trees will be so full there, you think those things are going to break. That's the word satisfied right there. It means a a fruit tree, an apple tree so heavy with apples that the limbs are literally bending over. Or it means a tree that's so full of sap. Have you ever gotten under a tree that's so full of sap that sap just drops on you? It does on your car. Um, That's the word right there. So this is what it's saying. It is saying that Abraham came to this moment in his life where he was going to die And he basically pushed back from the table of life where he had eaten for a hundred years from the blessings of God. And he said, enough. I am so full 
of the blessings of God, I can't take any more. Now that's the way to die. That's the way to die. He lived it for a hundred years and then that's the way he died. And the question is this, are we living life that way? Are we living life where we walk with him daily, where we talk to him daily, where we are obedient to his word, where we're sensitive to the leading of his spirit so that one day when it comes our time to die, we can honestly push back from the table of life and say, I've had enough. I am full of the blessings of God. Through good days and bad days, days where you hurt, days when it's good, listen, doesn't make any difference because God is faithful in every kind of day that you're having. No matter what kind of day it is, a bad day, a good day, God is always faithful in the day. Let me give you the third thing in this, and it's your associations in life. Your associations in life will be the same associations you have in death. Now look at the last couple of words of verse 8. He was gathered to his people. Now that's an interesting phrase, and um, I'll explain that sometime, but here's basically what this is saying. That phrase, you'll see it multiple times through the old, he was gathered to his fathers, he was gathered to his people. Um, Here, the reference and the concept is this, is that who you spend your life with is who you're going to spend your eternity with. Now you think about that. Do you love the people of God? Do you love the church? You know, because I'll come across people, you know, not on a regular basis, but I come across people from time to time that say, you know what, I just don't, I can't take that church. I can't take those folks. I don't, I don't care for, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And my response is, hey, one more is not going to hurt. So, you know, come on. We are, we're all, listen, we're all sinners. That's what we are. But the, but the fact of the matter is this, is if, if you say, I don't like spending time with those people. I usually ask him, I say, hey, are, are you saved? Do you know Christ? Are you, oh yeah, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Well, do you realize that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with people you won't spend two hours with a week down here? Who do you spend your time with? Who do you build your life around? It concerns me about Christians who don't want to spend time with the people of God. It concerns me. I wonder, you know, who who do they really want to be around? Uh, Here was Abraham, and it was said of Abraham that he was gathered to his people, which was a way of saying, not that they buried him back in Ur of the Chaldees, but that like attracts like. Who you like to be with, you will attract, you will be with them. I personally would rather be with the people of God than anybody I know of. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. Just as Barry was talking about a little bit ago, we've got problems. We've got it. Some of us have got more issues than others. But I still would rather be with the people of God. I'd rather be with y'all tonight than in any prison I know of in America. So he's gathered to his people. So you just have to ask that of yourself. Now, I can give you who's not going to be in heaven. It's interesting that in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, uh, John gives us a little bit of that. Listen to what is said. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 tells us this. 
for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You go down to verse 27 of chapter 21, and it says, Nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he comes back in chapter 22, and I I hope you've got your copy of God's Word open, because I want you to see this. Chapter 22, verse 15, who will not make it inside? Outside are Debbie's dogs. The dogs. It's, look, it's right there in the Bible. And the sorcerers and the, now listen, let me, let me just say, because somebody's going to walk out of here, I love dogs. Everything in God's creation is going to be in the new heaven. I believe all animals. Now, is Debbie's dog going to be there? No, but there will be dogs there. They can't go there. No, I can tell you. The immoral persons, the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Now, that's, that's the last two chapters of the Word of God who gives you that. Who's going to be there? The perfect? No. Those sinners redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who's going to be there. Show me who you like to be around, and I'll show you. I'll know who you are. Number four, the reality of the revelation of God. Now, <clears throat> what happened to Abraham when he died? Because that's basically it right there. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. There's a verse in the New Testament in John chapter 8, verse 56, that I want you to look at. Because I've got an idea something happened in those last moments of his life. I don't have any proof of it. It's, it's a supposition on my part, but John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. And they look at him in verse 53 and they say, surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died too. So whom do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. You've not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I'll be a liar like you. But I don't know, but I do know Him and keep His word. Then Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, In Mac Brunson's Volume 2, Suppositions on Scripture, I almost wonder if in those moments as Abraham hung between this life and the life to come, if God didn't show his friend a glimpse of a place called Bethlehem and a manger. And I wonder if God gave him a glimpse into a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. And I wonder if God didn't give him a glimpse of seeing the fulfillment of Isaiah 
where the blind received their sight and the lame walked and the prisoner was set free. And I almost wonder if God didn't take him to a place and in Abraham's spirit, he said, I know this place. I've been here. It's called Moriah. And this is where I came to offer up Isaac at your direction. And I wonder if God showed him his son on the other end of the rock of Moriah and a cross and then an empty tomb and showed him the ascension of Christ and Christ sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father ready to come and to resurrect all the Old Testament dead and to gather all the New Testament believers dead and living. I wonder. I don't know. You say you can't prove it. You can't disprove it. We don't know. But there was something that Jesus knew that one day we'll know when we see him face to face. I wonder if God did not reveal something to him. You know the name R.G. Lee? My good friend, Steve Gaines, who used to pastor at uh, Gardendale. We were in school together. We've preached together. I've preached in, at Bellevue. He's preached in Jacksonville. Um, R.G. Lee pastored Bellevue before Adrian Rogers was ever even thought of. Uh, he was in his day perhaps the greatest preacher in America. Uh, Truett came right along about the same time or right uh, with R.G. Lee. As R.G. Lee died, he said, I want all of my family. He said, go bring all of my kids and my grandkids. Bring all of my children and all of my grandchildren together. And they brought him in and he told them this. He said, I want you to see how a man of God dies. And as he was dying, he would go out and he came back to. And as he came back to, he said this to him before he died. He says, I've just seen heaven. And in all of my preaching, I never did it justice. Listen to D.L. Moody. Is this dying? Why, this is bliss. There's no valley. I've been within the gates and I see earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling. I must go. What saturated your mind in this life is going to be what saturates your mind the moment that you die. Convinced that's what Dr. Criswell was thinking of. I go from Dr. Criswell and the sublime of R.G. Lee and what filled their mind the moments they were dying or things about God, to Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Do you remember in the scene where he's out in the garden with Michael? And this isn't long before he, he has the heart attack and he dies. And he kind of senses and he knows that he's going to die. And what is he doing with Michael? He's going back over the family business. And he tells him, get somebody to check the line. Be sure that they're not listening to us on the telephone. This, this is... The Godfather of 
this mob family. And all that is on his mind is mob business. And then he gives him this final word that comes true. He says, whoever comes to you to make the meeting, that is the guy who has turned on the family. And I, I sat there today and I just thought about old Dr. Criswell dying, looking at me saying, oh, are you here to preach the revival? And Marlon Brando in The Godfather, and all he can think about, is here comes another enemy to attack the family, the business kind of deal. What fills your mind? What saturates your mind in this life is what's going to saturate and fill your mind in those moments before you die. Let me give you one last thing. And here it is. In our dying, there's going to be a revelation of God's identifying with us. Now, I've got to take you from Genesis 25 to Hebrews chapter 11. And I've got to give you one verse because the writer of Hebrews writes a good deal about Abraham and about Sarah. And he comes down in verse 16, and this is what he says. But as it is, they desire a better country. He's been talking about Abraham. He's been talking about Sarah. He said they desired a better country. They were looking for uh, a different place. They were not looking for a land here. They went out looking for Canaan. I led them to Canaan, but this isn't the country that they're really looking for. What they're really looking for is, look at what he says, a heavenly one. They're looking for heaven. They've identified with me. And he said, because they've so identified with me, look at what he says. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. God has built us a city, folks. He's got a city that we're going to. Um, a heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Uh, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All of the old heaven, all the old earth is all going to be burned up. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and there's going to be a heavenly Jerusalem. And that's the country that we're headed to. And he says, these people, Abraham, Sarah, they so identified with me that I'm now identifying with them. Have you ever thought, how does God ever introduce himself? He could thunder from heaven across the entire globe and say, I am the sovereign God of the cosmic universe and everything that's beyond the universe that you know. He could do that. He could write it in gold letters across a blue sky. He could, he could take the foundation of the earth. He could shake the earth until everybody's attention was all focused on him. And then he could introduce himself. But how does God introduce himself every time you see him in the Old Testament? I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And if you put your trust in him and you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, he's not ashamed to be identified with you. I'm the God of Debbie and Courtney and Barry and John and Courtney. Jesus said it very, very clearly in Mark chapter 8. If you're ashamed of me, before men, I'll be ashamed of you 
before my Father which is in heaven. And then in Matthew, Jesus states it this way. He says, if you will profess me before men, I will profess you before my Father who is in heaven. So, in our dying, as well as in our living, if we trust in Him, He identifies with us because we've identified with Him. Now, there's the death of the man of God, Abraham. So, do you have any questions? If you don't have a question, do you have, out of all of the life of Abraham, do you have one principle that you've learned out of all of this study of Abraham that you can recite? Okay, y'all excuse me while I start weeping up here. <clears throat> he was a friend of God. Trust God. <laughs> That's pretty good. What is that now? Yep, you can. That's, that's for sure. That's Abraham's life too. And Isaac's life. And Jacob's life. You had said it was easy for Abraham to trust God in the big things, but harder for like almost the daily things. Mm-hmm. So that as we're thinking through that every day, like what are, what are the daily things that I need to trust yeah. God in? Okay, good. Courtney said, you know, I, uh, there was one point that I made the comment that, you, that Abraham trusted God with the big things. It's the little things that we always are trying to take care of. Abraham did that. Anybody else? Now, where do we go from here? Well, you know, it's interesting what Scripture gives you, what Scripture talks about, and then what Scripture doesn't talk about. Because you go 35 years, Mr. Bobby, and you're right, and it says he married this woman, and he had a bunch of kids, and he gave them gifts, and he sent them eastward, and then he died. It's, it's just fascinating to me that the whole chapter of 23 is given to Sarah's death, and you get about two verses for Abraham. I wish I had 10,000 lifetimes to study the Word of God. I've just got one. But the good thing is at the end of this one, I'll know it. <laughs> you know, it's fa- it is fascinating. It is fascinating what Scripture will find important and what the Holy Spirit says, just leave that to be a mystery. You know what uh, the interesting thing, and maybe this is a good way to conclude, you come to the last chapter of Daniel, and Daniel doesn't understand. And he says to, to the Lord, you know, what are, what are these things? I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. And the Lord speaks to him and says, close it up. It's not for you. It's for another time. You don't know. You've written what I told you to write. You don't understand it. That's okay. You don't need to. This is going to be for a latter time, for another period in time. And so all we can do is take the Word of God And the good thing is this, is that when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit that indwells you is the same Spirit that wrote His Word that will illumine the Word if you will just give yourself to it just little bits at the time. Well, Abraham was a great guy. He was a great man. You'll never understand really the rest of Scripture if you don't get Abraham down. 
And I'm tempted to come back now and spend some time looking at Isaac and Jacob and that whole debacle. And then Jacob's sons, as, especially as you come down to really the great Old Testament picture of the coming Christ in Joseph. There's so much in Joseph that prefigures Jesus Christ. Who else was so hated by his own kin that he was sold for the price of a slave? So anyway, good. Y'all okay? Y'all are not a talkative group, you know? Well, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this night. We can gather around your word and for what your word gives to us and how it builds into us. Now, Lord, we'd like to all think that death is something that is eons away, and yet death is around us every single day. We should learn from your word and from the principles that you have providentially given us, uh, that we should not be so consumed with death as we should be consumed with living life the way you've called us to live it. Help us to live for you every day that we live in a way that glorifies and honors you so that in that moment of death, Father, that will be just simply passing from this place into the arms of our Savior. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.